I mentioned last week that liberals were reinstating mask mandates in Hollywood and on campus. I suggested this was a test run two and a half years after the COVID lockdowns, coordinated right on time to justify more BS ahead of the 2024 election. And I'm sorry to say, Joe Biden is already proving me right with his latest announcement pushing for a new round of vaccines. Speaking with the Associated Press, Joe Biden said, quote, I signed off this morning. I don't do a good Biden impression. He said, quote, I signed off this morning on a proposal we have to present to the Congress a request for additional funding for a new vaccine that is necessary, that works. A new vaccine is necessary not to stop infection or transmission of COVID, which it has never successfully done, but to set the stage to rig the election again, the same way the liberals did in 2020. And lest there be any confusion, Joe Biden added, quote, it will likely be recommended that everybody get the vaccine, no matter whether they've gotten it before or not. It might seem surprising that Biden would push the exact same old talking points years after they were all thoroughly debunked, including by some of his own experts and officials. But it should not surprise anyone because the scheme worked perfectly last time. The libs got their lockdowns. They got the power they wanted. They changed all the election laws and no one managed to stop them. With a record of success like that, why would the Democrats even consider changing their strategy now? I'm Michael Knowles. This is The Michael Knowles Show. Welcome back to the show. We've got President Trump's statement on the most lucrative mugshot in the history of photography or criminal justice. We'll get to that in a second. First, though, amid the historic crackdown on conservatives, the liberal Republicans are trying to shift the focus back to what really matters. And that, of course, is funding the war in Ukraine. Senator Romney, take it away. The single most important thing we can do to strengthen ourselves relative to China is to is to see Russia defeated in Ukraine because they're allies and uh, and Russia being weakened weakens their ally China. I mean, so uh, and, and by the way, uh, being able to to take an amount which equals what about five percent of our military budget, about uh, actually less than five percent of our military budget each year to help the Ukrainians is about about the best national defense spending I think we've ever done. We're losing no lives in Ukraine. And the Ukrainians are fighting heroically against Russia that has 1,500 nuclear weapons aimed at us. It's like, so we are, we're uh, diminishing and devastating the Russian military uh, for a, a very small amount of money relative to the, what we spend in the rest of defense. A weakened Russia is a good thing. It tells, it tells China to rethink uh, their uh, territorial ambition. Uh, it tells Russia, perhaps most importantly, that the, the Putin vision of, uh, of reestablishing the, the Russian empire and, and grabbing the old former Soviet republics, that that's not something that's going to work. This is the best argument for funding the war in Ukraine, I think, that the liberals can make. 
And it's an argument that sounds somewhat convincing even until you ask yourself, how is Russia going to be defeated in Ukraine? The whole argument rests on this premise that Russia can be defeated in Ukraine. How does Russia get defeated in Ukraine? Does anybody seriously believe that the Ukraine military, valiant though it may be, is going to repel the Russians and totally vanquish them from the country? No, nobody seriously believes that. So what has been going on for the last year, year and a half, is what a lot of people predicted, which is just a lot of bloodshed a lot of death, but without really moving the calculus of the war. But there is no evidence that Russia is going to be repelled from the eastern part of Ukraine, from Crimea, anything like that. The way to defeat Russia in Ukraine would be to drastically escalate the war. The United States is already, practically speaking, a belligerent in the war, and Russia has said as much. We are the only reason, our funding, our arms, our equipment, it's the only reason that Ukraine is able to put up anything like a fight right now. So the only way to totally defeat Russia and Ukraine would be to severely escalate that war, which would be to launch World War III. That would be a direct conflict, something we avoided for the entirety of the Cold War. It would launch a direct conflict between the United States and a nuclear former superpower in Russia. Do you, do you really think that would make America safer? No. But, but these geniuses in Washington— the, the, the liberal establishment, egghead, wonk people, they don't seem to get that. The, the war in Ukraine, to me, is a perfect example of the IQ bell curve meme, where you've got the drooling idiot at the bottom. He says, duh, why are we spend the money in Ukraine? Ukraine doesn't matter, duh, duh, right? And he's drooling on himself. And then you get to that really smart guy, the Mitt Romney there in the middle. He says, well, actually, this is the best way to pursue America's interests. This is the most important thing we could possibly be doing. Because if you figure it out, it's only 5% of defense, buddy. Blah, 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 blah. And then you get up to the genius Jedi voodoo magic guy up at the top. And he says, actually, the war in Ukraine is extremely dumb and we should wrap it up. There, and he agrees with the guy who's drooling, as is so often the case. The, one could easily convince oneself that continuing to fund this endless war in Ukraine would help America's interest in that more Russians die. And it's a kind of a dark argument, but I, I at least see how Romney gets to that argument. But where does it end? These people, these guys running the liberal status quo, they never have any clear articulation of what happens at the end of all this. What happens at the end of mass migration? What happens at the end of the sexual revolution? What happens at the end of this foreign policy of constant war? What's the, what's the point of it all? The point of it all is the diminishment of our civilization or just no end at all. Now, when the political order is pretty wonky as it is, you're probably going to want to protect your assets. You're going to want to check out Birch Gold. Right now, text Knowles to 989898. As central banks in countries like China, India, and Australia begin transitioning to a digital currency, the Federal Reserve has been contemplating the same for the U.S. With a digital currency, the government could track every single purchase you make. Officials could even prohibit you from purchasing certain products and easily freeze or seize your money. These are some of the reasons that concerned Americans reach out to Birch Gold. They want to have a physical asset like gold that is independent of the U.S. dollar. You can protect your IRA or 401k by diversifying with gold from Birch Gold. Historically, gold has been a safe haven in times of high uncertainty, which is right now. Learn if gold is right for you. Text Knowles, K-N-W-L-E-S, 
to 989898. They will send you a free info kit on gold with an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau, thousands of happy customers, and countless five-star reviews. I trust Birch Gold to help you diversify into gold. If a central bank digital currency becomes a reality, it will be nice to have some gold to depend upon. Text Knowles, K-N-W-L-E-S, to 989898. Speaking of liberal Republicans, a prominent liberal Republican who happens to be running for president in 2024 is insistent that the Joe Biden, Hunter Biden corruption investigation is not going to make one little bit of a difference come November. Well, look, uh, Hunter Biden's not on the ballot. And I, you, you know that I predicted weeks before the Hunter Biden plea was rejected that it would be rejected um, because it was a completely one-sided plea deal in favor of Hunter Biden. Um, now he's going to face the same type of trial um, that uh, Donald Trump's going to face. And, and here's the interesting part. Um, you know, some of those voters who say that say the Hunter Biden thing matters, but Donald Trump's doesn't. Um, that's just wishful thinking. The fact is that the two people who would be on the ballot if we nominated Donald Trump will be Donald Trump and Joe Biden, not Hunter Biden. Uh, and the fact is, it's the conduct of the people um, who are running for office that's going to matter the most. And we might find out more about President Biden in the months to come. There it is. You see, he hints at the complete undercutting of his argument right there at the end. Because what he says is, look, this is this match is going to be about Trump and Biden. If Trump is the nominee, it's going to be Trump versus Biden. And no one's going to care about Hunter Biden because Hunter Biden's not on the ballot. Sure, but the probe into Hunter Biden is also not about Hunter Biden. That's why we're not really all that concerned about his sex crimes. That's why we're really not all that concerned about his drug crimes. They're good tabloid material, but that's not really what Republicans are focused on. We're focused on the political corruption. We're focused on the payments from Ukraine. We're focused on the payments from China. We're focused on the payments from other powers around the world that were paying Hunter Biden because Hunter was selling his father's influence as the vice president. We're interested in that Hunter Biden corruption because it implicates Joe. We don't even need to guess at this. We've got, we've got the whole hard drive full of text messages and emails connecting Joe to these crimes. We've got a handwritten letter from Joe Biden to Hunter Biden's business partner, Devin Archer, a handwritten letter that proves that Joe Biden invited Devin Archer to a, a meeting with Xi Jinping, the president of China, or uh, it may have been the previous president of China at the time, because this this goes back now like a decade. The We've got evidence after evidence after evidence. And now we've got Viktor Shokin, who is the prosecutor that Joe Biden forced the Ukrainians to fire. Viktor Shokin coming out and saying Joe Biden was being bribed by Ukraine. I have no doubt that there were illegal activities engaged in by uh, Burisma. As a matter of fact, the criminal case had been started before me. It continued to expand and Zlochevsky, who at the time held the post of minister and was the founder and CEO of Burisma, uh, started bringing in people who could provide protection for him. Hunter Biden was uh, among them. And the corruption network expanded as a result. So, yes, to answer your question, there, uh, there's no doubt in my mind that Burisma was engaged in illegal activities. Had I continued to oversee the Burisma investigation, we would have found the facts 
about the corrupt activities that they were engaging in that included both Hunter Biden and Devin Archer and others. I do not want to deal in unproven facts, but my firm personal conviction is that yes, this was the case. They were being bribed. The fact that Joe Biden gave away $1 billion in uh, U.S. Uh, money in exchange for my dismissal, my firing, isn't that alone a case of corruption? Obviously it is. And the clip that he's referring to there, Victor Shokin, is when Joe Biden publicly, semi-publicly, because it was at a private event of the Council on Foreign Relations, but there was a little camera in the back, and that's how this clip has gone viral. Joe Biden bragged about paying the Ukrainians a billion dollars to fire the guy who was investigating the company that was bribing him and his son, at least his son. And according to the text messages and emails that we've seen, would seem to suggest some of that money, a lot of that money, was going to Joe. I remember going over convincing our team, our <coughs> others, to convincing us that we should be providing for loan guarantees. And I went over, for, I guess, the 12th, 13th time to Kiev, and, uh, and I was going, supposed to announce that there was another billion-dollar loan guarantee. And I had gotten a commitment from Poroshenko and from... Uh, Yatsenyuk that they would take action against the state prosecutor, and they didn't. So they said they had. They were walking out to press conference. Said, "No, nah, I said I'm not going to. We're not going to give you the billion dollars." They said, "You have no authority. You're not the president." The president said, "I said call him." <laughs> I said, "I'm telling you, you're not getting the billion dollars." I said, "You're not getting the billion. I'm going to be leaving here." And I think it was what six hours. I looked. I said, "I'm leaving in six hours. If the prosecutor's not fired, you're not getting the money." Well, son of a bitch. <laughs> got fired. And they put in place someone who was solid. Someone who was solidly going to stop looking into the company that was paying my family a ton of money in bribes. What more proof do we need? We talk a lot about political corruption because, one, we like to attack our political opponents, but two, we just live in a particularly corrupt time. And so... We, we take these accusations with a grain of salt. In the case of Joe Biden, there is no more proof that we could possibly have. Unless we saw a public Venmo payment from Ukraine to Joe Biden that said for all of the corruption, there is no more proof that we could possibly have. We've got Hunter Biden talking about how the big guy gets 10%. We got Hunter Biden texting his family saying that un unlike his father, he's never going to make them give, give to him half his salary, half of their salary. We've got the, the financial documents showing all of these payments from foreign powers to the shell company set up by Hunter Biden and Devin Archer. We've got the letters connecting Joe Biden to Devin Archer and obviously to Hunter Biden. We now know, thanks to the House Republicans, that Joe Biden was conducting business while vice president under a pseudonym, Robert Ware and Robert L. I forget the last, Peters, Robert L. Peters, several pseudonyms that, that he was conducting not just little pleasantry kind of business, but was setting up phone calls with the president of Ukraine. Just obvious rank corruption. And yet no one's going to touch this guy. Meanwhile, Donald Trump, what? as president called the secretary of state of Georgia to inquire about the obvious voter fraud that had gone on, and they throw him in the can for that. And they take a mugshot, first mugshot of a U.S. president in American history. It's, we are so obviously beyond the point of 
a law and order of a of a serious justice system that uh, look in a way i have a grudging kind of admiration for the for the game that joe biden is playing that guy is just a hustler through and through a total gangster okay he's he's not even really trying to hide it all that hard the, the people that drive me the craziest right now though are the squishes the ones who are trying to deal with in these issues as though they were serious matters for abstract legal reasoning. Well, you know, listen, I'm opposed to arresting the leader of the opposition. I'm not saying it's a good thing that we're arresting former presidents, but did Donald Trump, on when he was on the phone, did he call between 3 o'clock and 4 o'clock, or did he call between 5 o'clock and 6 o'clock? Did, what was the exact nature of the statement that, give me a break, man, they would throw this guy in prison for jaywalking. They would throw this guy in prison for not jaywalking. They, they, he could he could walk across the crosswalk with the walk light on, and they would they would change the video footage and say that it was a stop sign. Okay, it, we are so. Pa- Meanwhile, Joe Biden is is sending his son around to shake down every foreign leader on planet Earth and say, "My dad's going to give you in American influence." And everybody looks the other way, and they get crooked plea deals, and they get diversion programs, and they get nothing, nary even a slap on the wrist. I'm, I'm not saying this to point out the hypocrisy. Nor, normal people, people with two brain cells to rub together, see the hypocrisy. I'm, 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 I'm really mentioning this just to shake the squishes out of their stupor. We are not living in a time of ordinary law and order, and people should recognize that when it comes to the persecutions of conservatives, up to and including Donald Trump, but including hundreds and hundreds at least more conservatives than that. So speaking of the mudshot, uh, Trump raises $7 million since this mugshot comes out. Within the first 24 hours, the campaign raised $4.18 million, which is similar to the amount of money he raised after his first indictment. And since that time, he's raised $7.1 million. This is why the election is very likely just about Trump. Okay, from the beginning, I think some people have accused me of being too soft on Trump or too harsh on the other candidates. I don't think I've done that. Not one day goes by where I don't praise Ron DeSantis in some way or Vivek Ramaswamy in some way or even some of the other candidates who are polling in the single digits. But it has been my contention from day one that regardless of any of the virtues of the other candidates, history and politics have come together to make this election very likely about Donald Trump. Whether you got the best candidate and Ron DeSantis or Vivek Ramaswamy or Chris freaking Christie, whatever, it just, the type of election this is where you've got practically an incumbent running for a non-consecutive second term for the first time in 140 years, we just, we haven't seen that before. It's to say, or we haven't seen that in obviously over, over 130 years now. To say nothing of the fact that Trump is a celebrity for 40 years, to say nothing for the fact that the libs seem to particularly hate this guy, and they seem to be willing to upend our entire legal system to stop him, not to stop Chris Christie, not to stop Mike Pence, not to stop Ron DeSantis. Maybe if any of those guys were given a term, maybe there's a chance the libs would be willing to upend our political order to stop them. But that is just not what's going on right now which is why it seems to me very likely that no matter how good a campaign any of these guys run, Trump is going to maintain his massive lead. And Trump has basically said as much after the mugshot, which we'll get to in one second, his, his big statement after the mugshot. First, though, talk about, talk about having some gas in the tank, you know, for these campaigns. 
Do you have gas in your propane tank? Well, you're going to want to check out Cinch. Right now, go to cinch.com, use code Knowles. Picture the perfect summer night. A warm breeze on your face as you lounge in your favorite chair outside. The grill is sizzling with juicy burgers and the aroma of the food is irresistible. Boy, could you imagine? Now, imagine what this perfect summer night would look like if you went to turn on the grill and your propane tank were empty. That's where our friends at Cinch come in. Cinch is a propane grill tank home delivery service. They deliver propane grill tanks right to your door on your schedule, and they require no long-term commitment or subscription. Plus, delivery is completely contactless. You do not have to wait around at home. Track the order on the Cinch app from anywhere. Whether you're grilling steaks or lighting up the patio heaters on a cold night, Cinch's propane delivery service ensures that you have the fuel you need to make the most of every moment. Go online to cinch.com or download the Cinch app to order. New customers can get their first tank exchange for just 10 bucks with promo code Knowles. Go to cinch.com or download the Cinch app. Use promo code Knowles, K-N-W-L-E-S, to get your first tank exchange for just $10. This is a limited time offer. You must live within a Cinch service area to redeem it. Visit cinch.com slash offer for details. Are you sick of woke corporations dragging your values through the mud? Well, Wash your hands of it with Jeremy's brand new hand soap. Jeremy's hand soap is the perfect solution for everyday grit and grime. Not to mention, it smells amazing and is scented with green tea and citrus. Jeremy actually cares about you, so he didn't put any of that paraben crap in his hand soap. Not only is it paraben-free, what's a paraben? I don't even know. It's also free of sulfates, DEI, and ESG. Plus, it's not tested on animals, and it's made right here in the USA. What more could you want from your hand soap than to get clean hands while keeping a clean conscience. So do yourself a favor, wash your hands of hypocritical libs once and for all. Jeremy's hand soap is the ideal addition to your bathroom or kitchen sink as you liberate your home from the influence of woke companies. Go to jeremysrazors.com, order your green tea and citrus hand soap today. After the arrest, setting the stage to raise seven million bucks, this is the fourth indictment. Here's Trump's statement. I really believe this is a very sad day for America. This should never happen. If you challenge an election, you should be able to challenge an election. I thought the election was a rigged election, a stolen election, and I should have every right to do that. As you know, you have many people that you've been watching over the years do the same thing, whether it's Hillary Clinton or Stacey Abrams or many others. When you uh, have that great freedom to challenge, you have to be able to, otherwise you're going to have very dishonest elections. What has taken place here is a travesty of justice. We did nothing wrong. I did nothing wrong. And everybody knows it. I've never had such support. And that goes with the other ones, too. What they're doing is election interference. They're trying to interfere with an election. There's never been anything like it in our country before. This is their way of campaigning. And this is one instance, but you have three other instances. It's election interference. So I want to thank you for being here. We did nothing wrong at all. And we have every right, every single right, to challenge an election that we think is dishonest, that we think it's very dishonest. This is another part of my calculation as to why I think it's very likely that that guy is going to be the nominee. He is unflappable. Maybe you hate Trump. Maybe you think he's a big jerk. Maybe you think that he's just not the best candidate in 2024. Put that aside for a second. Say that you were indicted four times, federal charges, state charges. Let's say that you faced something like 750 years in prison 
which even with the Trumps that tend to be a little long-lived, that's, that's death in prison. You're facing all of this. This is all a very real possibility. You've got the entire weight of the American and, frankly, global liberal establishment coming down on you. And you, you saunter out of the jail and you give a statement like that. I don't know what it is. I don't know what it is that Trump has or what he's missing that allows him to do that, but it is a reminder that external circumstances are not going to change this guy. They're not going to get him off message. You might hate his message, but they're not going to get him off message. They're not going to change his personality. He's got he would have given that that same statement on a sunny day in July 7 years ago. And it's not going to change the facts of the election. You might say we shouldn't focus on 2020, you might say we need to look forward, not backward. Maybe all of that's true. But the fact is, the liberals rigged the last election. Even if you think that the way they rigged it wouldn't have changed the final outcome that Joe Biden would have won anyway, it is simply a fact they changed the way the elections were conducted to such a degree that you had tens of millions more votes, to such a degree that you had widespread mail-in ballots in contravention of the state constitution in the case of Pennsylvania took a week or more to count the ballots. Completely absurd. And so the election will be about election integrity. In a way, it's an election about elections. It's a meta-political moment. And you might say, well, this is terrible and it's going to hurt Republicans' chances. Maybe it will. I'm not saying that it won't. I'm just saying that is the state of play right now. And if they could at least off-foot the guy, if they could, if they could make him cry a little, if they could make him stumble, if they could make him change his message, then maybe you say, okay, it's a lively contest. But if nothing is changing and the guy's 40 points up in the polls, how is any other candidate going to knock him down? I'm not saying it can't happen. I'm just saying it seems very unlikely. So are the other candidates viable? There's some good news for supporters of the other candidates coming out this week, which is 538, the, the liberal uh, election polling outlet, says that Ron DeSantis won the GOP presidential debate. They say that he slightly edged out Vivek Ramaswamy. New York Post says the opposite, says Vivek won the debate and that he slightly edged out Ron DeSantis. But both of those outlets agree that DeSantis and Vivek were the two clear winners of the debate that Trump did not show up to. Now, 538 goes further. This is other good news, at least apparently, for the DeSantis campaign. They say that more voters are now considering voting for DeSantis than for any other candidate, including Trump. Now, you might hear that statement and say, well, hold on, that doesn't make any sense because Donald Trump is still 40 points up in the polls. How is, how is DeSantis beating Trump in terms of openness to vote for him? Well, because the, the question is different. It's not who are you going to vote for? It's not who is your favorite candidates? Who would you be willing to vote for? So more people are open to the idea of voting for DeSantis than of any other candidate, including Trump. Meaning there are, there are going to be some people who really like Nikki Haley, but they're open to voting for DeSantis. There's some people who really like Vivek. Maybe they're open to DeSantis. There's some people who really like Trump. They're open to DeSantis. Whereas for Trump, there are, there are more people who are just saying, nah, I will not under any circumstances vote for that guy. So that's nice that people are open to DeSantis. But as I've said from the beginning, the kind of campaign that DeSantis is running in these circumstances is a great campaign to get you to number two. It's a great campaign to get you to the first loser. But he is not running the kind of campaign that can, at the, at the present moment, can overtake the front runner. 
you would have to run a much bolder campaign to do that. And even then, the historical circumstances might be such that it's not possible. Even if people are open to voting for you, doesn't help those poll numbers. According to Realtor Politics now, and this is largely, not all of the polls in the average here, but, but most of them are factoring in the debate. Uh, Trump is at 53, DeSantis is at 13. Vivek is at seven and a half, Haley's at five, then Pence at 4.7, then Christie at 2.8, and, and just down on from there. Doug Burgum still holding on at 0.6%. So it doesn't seem to, to have moved that all that much. And then moving away from the polls for a second, maybe you say, well, the polls don't tell you anything. Look at the betting odds. So this is where people are actually putting their money down on who they think the likely nominee is. Right now, the, the top three people are Trump, Vivek, and DeSantis. And importantly here, for Trump, Vivek, and DeSantis, Trump's numbers are increasing. DeSantis's and Vivek's are slightly decreasing. In January, it's worth pointing out, in the betting markets, DeSantis was way up over Trump. The, the, the money people thought that it was much more likely that DeSantis would be the nominee than that Trump would be the nominee. It has steadily reversed ever since then. And my, so my question to the campaigns is, what could change? You could say maybe a consolidation of the candidates— if all the other candidates got out, then maybe the, the fact that a lot of people are open to voting for DeSantis, maybe that would help him to get the edge over Trump. But even then, I bet a lot of the people who are open to DeSantis are still people who, who would take Trump as number one. So the question, what could change now? We, we talk about how the Republican Party is so divided. Oddly enough, it's not that divided right now. It, it, the people who don't like the front runner might say, well, it's very divided and I don't feel that I have a home in the Republican Party. But the party has coalesced largely around a candidate, and it's the one that everybody has a strong opinion on, whether they love him or hate him. Speaking of division, switching gears somewhat, this is a story I wanted to get to last week. I do want to get to it now. Halle Berry. Halle Berry has gotten divorced. I don't really care about the personal lives of celebrities. I guess marriage and divorce are public matters, so it's not, that's not just your private life. Marriage is a public thing. But what makes the story kind of interesting is that this divorce has been going on for something like eight years. Halle Berry has agreed to her child support payments to her ex-husband. They finalized their divorce eight years after this custody battle began, started in 2015. And here's what Halle Berry said in 2015. It is with a heavy heart that we have come to the decision to divorce we move forward with love and respect for one another and the shared focus of what is best for our son. That is a nonsensical statement. We are, we are deciding to divorce now because we are totally focused on what is best for our child. That's not possible. It's not possible. Maybe in the most extreme rare circumstance where you've got, you know, an, an abusive husband or something like that threatening the, the wife and the children, I see the argument for a kind of a separation there. That's, that's not what's going on here. That's not what's going on in the vast majority of cases of divorce. What, what people say in most cases of divorce is, well, well, look, it's, it's not, no, it's not about any threats to the children or to me. It's just, it's that I just, we, we need to be happier. You know, that's exactly what Halle Berry said. She said, I just feel fulfilled. 
I feel happy in my life romantically as a mother, as an artist. I'm a much better mother in this circumstance than I would have been had I stayed in the romantic relationship that didn't serve me and didn't make me feel the way I need to feel as a woman. I'm reminded that we always have to take care of ourselves first because I can't be a good mother for my children if I'm not fundamentally happy and feeling good about myself. This woman is completely wrong. It is amazing to have a statement with this many sentences where every single one of them is just completely and totally wrong. Me, 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 that's all that matters. I'm a much better mother in the circumstance where you're not putting your children first. No, that makes you a worse mother. I'm not knocking you entirely. I know it's a tough world. I know people do get divorced. I know we deal with all the problems of evil pervading this this fallen place that, that, that there are. But it's not better. To say it's better, that's just a lie. I'm remind, we need to take care of ourselves first. No, when you're, a, when you're a parent, your responsibility is to take care of your children first. You have to think about other people sometimes more than yourself. I know that's, in our modern culture, it's very difficult to think about. And in Hollywood, it's virtually impossible to think about. I can't be a good mother for my children if I'm not fundamentally happy. Yes, you can. You know how you can? By just doing the stuff you're supposed to do and shutting up about your feelings. That's, that's how you can, that's how we can all do it. I'm not just knocking Halle Berry here. This is true for everybody. You can be a good husband and a good wife and a good father and a good mother and a good employee and a good member of your community, even if you're not totally perky all day long. You know how you do it? You shut up about your feelings and you think about anybody for even one second other than yourself. And if we all did that just like 5% more than we do, our nation, our local communities, all the way up to our national community, would be so much better. (laughs) We would solve so many of our problems just that easily. My favorite comment on Friday comes from Polygon Crazy, who says, surprise, they haven't started arresting people that showed up to support President Trump. I'm expecting to see that any day now. You don't need to wait to, to see it. That's been happening now for years. That's what the January 6th people are about. The January 6th people overwhelmingly were nice Midwestern people, I guess from all parts of the country, who showed up, walked around the Capitol Rotunda and got thrown in solitary confinement for it. Midwestern grannies, eccentrics who show up and crack a Coors on the Capitol grounds and then they, they wind up in the clink. And you might say, well, well, just like those, these wonk people, these squishy liberal people who say, well, you know, Um, let's just, let's analyze the charges against Donald Trump. This isn't just a a complete joke show trial, banana Republic persecution. No, let's, let's examine. Well, what exactly did you say in the phone call? Give me a break. Give me a break. BLM gets to burn the country down for eight months. And then some Midwestern granny gets thrown in the clink for showing up to the nation's capital in the house. That's supposed to be the representation for the people. It's a joke, but even beyond the January 6th people, sorry, January 6th people, Think about Douglas Mackey. Douglas Mackey is this guy who had a social media account, Ricky Vaughn, on Twitter. It didn't even have that many followers. It had like 58,000 followers. And he sent out memes, memes about the election. Little memes and jokes that we all, that everybody's joked about forever. You know, well, if you're a Republican, vote Tuesday. If you're a Democrat, vote Wednesday, that kind of a thing. And then just really spicy, edgy memes that, that were meant to provoke people to say he's racist, sexist, phobic, this, this, that is. Okay, you might, you might not like his memes or something. You might not have followed him on Twitter. The guy's facing 10 years in prison for memes because he opposed 
the ruling class and because he supported Donald Trump. So you don't need to wait for them to round up ordinary Trump supporters. It's happening already, and they're facing years and years in prison. Now, speaking of places where people live, be it prison or the homes that are increasingly broken in our country, new homes are shrinking in size. I teased this story on Friday. This is my little tease. It's not the sexiest story. It's not the most scintillating, sensationalist tabloid story, but it tells you something really deep about our country. Yeah, this is from Wall Street Journal. Goodbye bathtub and living room. America's homes are shrinking. Faced with high mortgage rates, constrained Americans are embracing smaller homes. Uh, for many Americans, homeownership may be attainable only if they give up the dining room. Home prices are near record highs, frustrating millions of potential buyers, to say nothing of the fact that interest rates are now through the roof. Uh, since 2018, the average unit size for new housing starts has decreased 10% nationally to 2,420 square feet. Now, I, I read that number and I thought, man, that's a mansion. 2,400 square The house I grew up in, I grew up in an apartment for a lot of my upbringing, but then I, we, I grew up in a house that was, I think, 800 square feet. I don't know, I thought 2,400 is pretty good. Except you got you to remember, I grew up in New York. If you grow up in the middle of the country where real estate is cheaper, okay, 2,400, that's not as big as it used to be. And then in other places, you look at Seattle, newly built homes are 18% smaller than they were five years ago. Charlotte, North Carolina, and San Antonio, 14% smaller than they were four years ago. This stuff is shrinking really, really fast. Why? In part, it's shrinkflation. It's the reason that when you go to the grocery store, you get less coffee in the tin of coffee than you did a few years ago. You get fewer donuts in the bag of donuts. It's because when inflation is rampant, as it has been under Joe Biden, uh, companies know that they can't just jack the price up 50% or you'll be so shocked by that. So they'll jack the price up 20%, but then they'll shrink the package. So the cost per unit goes up a lot. That's part of the reason. But, but it's also because our families are shrinking. People have many fewer children now than they did 50 years ago. It's also because our whole population is shrinking. We have a dying population in the United States, as we have for 50 years. And that trend has accelerated at various times in those 50 years. Our whole, our whole civilization is shrinking. It's smaller than it used to be. Our view of art. You, you walk into a cathedral in Europe, or even in America, you walk into St. Pat's Cathedral in New York. This is big. This is grand. This is huge. This is beautiful. You look at modern architecture, it's small. You look at more traditional architecture, it's ornamented. There's a lot to it. There are a lot of details to take in. Modern architecture, you look at the, the new homes that people are building, you know, those hideous, like black and white, kind, sometimes cube, now occasionally more angular monstrosities. They look like prisons. They look like the kind of place you get sent if you send memes out on Twitter supporting Donald Trump, you know? They, they don't, they're just small and ugly. You, you see this in the, the novel The Fountainhead by Ayn Rand, her slightly lesser read novel to Atlas Shrugged and slightly smaller but equally bad. Uh, the Fountainhead is a novel about Ayn Rand's philosophy of objectivism, which is an atheist materialist ideology. But it's, it's also about architecture. And what's so funny about the book is Ayn Rand is wrong about 97% of things. She, she actually gets to some interesting truths about human nature about 3% of the time, but it's just totally 
covered up in a bunch of muck and false anthropology and, and theology. But she, the most striking thing about the novel, which is about architecture, is that she's wrong about architecture. The protagonist of the novel makes a, a church. She's supposed to make a, a cathedral, basically. And it's this small, tiny, ugly, crappy, modern place. The, the, the vision that the protagonist of the story pursues so doggedly without getting any advice from anybody, including the people who are paying for his plans, his artistic vision is ugly. It's just modernist, unhuman, small stuff. It's ugly. And so it's no surprise that everything's shrinking. And, you know, we, we joke about how the libs want to make us all eat bugs and live in pods. This is how they do it. The way they make you live in a pod is not by putting a gun to your head and saying, get in the pod now, surf. <laughs> you know, the way they make you live in a pod is they shrink your expectations. They shrink your vision of the world. Of course, they, they make it, they, they shrink your hopes and your, your dreams and your imagination such that you are content living in a way that is not fitting of a dignified human being. Speaking of reduction, there's another headline where the libs inadvertently tell us how they view humanity. Here's the headline. Put pest animal species on the pill. Don't cull them, says scientist. Humane alternatives to killing rampant creatures, such as wild boar, deer, and gray squirrels are being developed. So, you know, these wild boar are huge pests in a lot of the country, especially in like Texas. So sometimes people, they'll just go out and say, hey, man, hunt as many of these damn things as you want. We just want to kill them. There will be people who will go up in helicopters and just shoot these things from the sky, okay? So what this scientist says is, no, no, no. Don't go out there and kill them. That's kind of nasty and feels unethical. What you should do is just sterilize them. And then I thought, okay, so the, these masters of the universe who want to control the population that they consider to be pests, the way that they do that, the, the way that they think is the cleverest without arousing the ire of environmentalists and humanitarians and all the like by outright slaughtering them is they're just going to put them on contraceptive drugs. But wait a second, aren't they doing that to us? <laughs> well, hold on, isn't, aren't we human beings in our society constantly inundated with contraceptive propaganda from the moment that we're in elementary school now all the way up through our 20s and 30s? Everywhere, bombarded by the public health departments, bombarded by the public school system, bombarded by Hollywood, bombarded by every influential institution, the scientific establishment, all of it, to say, hey, get on the pill, sterilize yourself, don't have children, it's bad to have children. And I put those two together and I said, well, how does our liberal elite think about us? If they're doing to us the same thing that they're advocating doing to pest animal species, I guess it means they think of us as pests. And of course they do. Sometimes they'll tell us that. There's too many people. We're the problem. You know, we've got it. We just have overpopulation. We got to show, they'll, they'll say it openly and not just fringe people. You'll hear Bill Gates talk about this. You'll, you'll hear billionaires. You'll hear the talking head, chattering class pundits. You'll hear politicians talk about, about this kind of a thing. Now, I've got a, a good story and a bad story. And there, I'm going to have to, I can't believe, I'm going to have to tease again. I, I've been such a tease on the show, but it's Music Monday, so we've got to get to a new Miley Cyrus song. Before that, though, here's my little tease. Santana the rocker, made a big splash last week because he came out and he said, I don't know, you don't have to bleep me on YouTube. He said, a woman is a woman 
and a man is a man. And then Santana, before I could even talk about this on the show, he apologized. But he, everyone's focused on the woman is a woman and a man is a man. Then everybody started to focus on the apology, and they're missing. There's one aspect of Santana's rant about transgenderism and the sexual revolution that is so insightful and beautiful. And, and the leftists are going to hate it if they acknowledge it. And even many conservatives have forgotten this lesson. And it's a lesson that we're going to have to get to tomorrow. How's that for a tease? Because today is Music Monday, and we've got a new Miley Cyrus song. And you know that while I listen to basically no mo- new modern music, I kind of like Miley Cyrus. I have a soft spot for her. Okay, I do. Whatever. I, ever since Party in the USA, I've had a soft spot for Miley. The rest of the show continues now. You don't want to miss it. Become a member. Use code Knowles, K-N-W-L-A-S, at checkout for two months free on all annual plans.